All right. So last week we looked at um, we looked at being dead to sin. <laughs> Fake, you're laughing at me. Yeah, we looked at being dead to sin. Um, and we looked at what it means to be dead to sin. And we looked at what Jesus Christ, what the death of Jesus Christ did for us. And then how that, you know, translates into our experience right now. So even though Jesus Christ died over 2,000 years ago, right, yet his death is still relevant to everyone today and will be relevant to every everyone even in, in eternity, okay? And so we, we, we explained how that happens and why it was, was so. So if you're not here last week, please get the recording on our podcast channel. Um, today, I want us to proceed still on the same thoughts of Romans chapter 6. Um, we looked at being dead to sin, to being dead to sin last week. Today, we want to look at two further steps, reckoning and yielding. Praise God. However, I want us to start reading from um, verse 1 of Romans chapter 6 so that we get a fuller, um, a more complete picture. So turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Um, Romans chapter 6, and we start reading from verse 1. All right, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and the body of that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not save sin. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. And I want to just take a pause here before we continue. This verse 7 is the, is the interpretation and summary of everything we talked about last week. That he that is dead is free from sin. And remember I said that the only way to be free from sin is to die. And um, Jesus' death has implicated us because in, in Jesus' death, we also died. And the first thing we need to, we need to admit and we need to, do, we need to um, have a revelation of is that we are dead to sin. And being dead to sin is not just a revelation for baby Christians in quote. No, it's a revelation that that um, permeates every of our Christian experience, all right? The fact that we are dead to sin, it is, it is, a, it is a foundation of every of our oppression in Christ. Meaning that if someone comes and says, oh, I'll give my life to Christ, that means I want to stop smoking. Listen, you don't stop smoking by an act of your will. You stop smoking by an act of revelation. And the first point of revelation is that you are dead to sin. You don't stop um, clubbing or doing anything wrong um, by an act of your will. No, you first start by revelation that you are dead to sin. That is the beginning of every experience we have with God, all right? And remember that this is in the past tense. So you are not going to be dead to sin. You are currently dead to sin. Um, and it's, it's, it's a past tense, all right? So let's continue. Verse 8 says, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we that... Sorry, we believe that we shall live with him. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 6. He says, knowing that Christ, being, re being raised from the dead, dieth no more. He says, death 
hath no more dominion over him. Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, verse 11 is exactly where I want us to begin for today. He says, likewise, no, 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 I want to read verse 10 again and follow me. He says, for in that he died, this is talking about Jesus, that seeing that he died, he died unto sin once, right? Now says, but in that he lived, he liveth unto God. So he's saying that the fact that Jesus Christ died meant that he died once to sin. And remember, we were in Christ Jesus when he died, okay? He now says that now that he lives, he lives unto God. Then verse 11 says, likewise. You know, when English uses the word likewise, it's trying to, it's a progression from a thought into another thought, trying to compare um, a scenario with another scenario and link both of them together. And it's in that context that he says, likewise, meaning in the same way that Jesus was, just died to sin and he now lives unto God. He says, in the same way, in exactly the same way, he says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God. Now, remember last week we focused on how that the death of Jesus Christ, um, um, how we were included in the death of Jesus Christ and all that, that transpired, right? Now, verse 10 begins to, verse 11, sorry, begins to say, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead to sin. Now, when, when, when Christ died, we died with him, right? From all we talked last week. The Bible is now saying that that revelation should not just remain as an experience in the past that is far-fetched, okay? He's now saying that you also need to reckon yourself. Now, the key word in this scripture is the word reckon. And it's quite an interesting word, all right? It's the word reckon. Um, before I even explain, I want to read, I want to read from the Passion Translation. I want to read um verse I want to read from verse 10, just 10 and 11 in Passion Translation. Okay, it says, For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once, once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. Verse 11. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure, pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Amen. The, the, the phrase I want us to shed, I want to um, you know, shed light on is when he says you must continually view yourselves as dead. Praise God. Now, that is such a powerful, I mean, somebody say, I mean, that makes, I mean, it should, it should be automatic. But you see, it is possible to know that, oh, um, Christ died and we died with him. But then it, you, might, you might sustain that as a memory and not a continuous experience. So it's possible for a believer to, oh, yes, I'm dead, dead, I'm dead to sin. But subconsciously, he, he has that as a past experience and not as a present reality. So what Paul was saying is, don't just think that Christ, you know, you know, and that's why verse 10 is very, very key to understanding, understanding verse 11, because verse 11 says likewise. So likewise what? Verse 10 tells us that Christ died, right? He died to sin once, but he now lives. That living is a present continuous experience. 
and and um tpt says he continuously lived for the father's pleasure so christ is continuously living and that is why paul now says you need to reckon yourself in that same manner that even though the event happened two thousand years ago however it is a present day reality that you are continuing to live for christ all right and the king james version uses the word reckon and it's quite an interesting word and um, in the Greek, it, it's actually an accounting word, all right? Um, an accounting word that says, um, thankfully, I have, I have, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I have, I have people in, in finance right here. So you, I'm, I'm sure you guys will understand this or even explain it better to me. Um, on, on an accounting book, there's the credit and debit side, right? And from my basic accounting knowledge, Whatever happens on the credit side must be reflected on the debit side. And whatever happens on the debit side must be reflected on the credit side. Am I correct? Um, Idara and Lily, am I correct? I am, okay. Um, so what happens on the, on the left must happen on the right. Meaning if, if for instance, let, let me use normal bank transactions. If I transfer money, let's say I transfer money to Bayo, I transfer $1,000 to Bayo right now. The, on my own account, it will be a debit alert, right? But on buyer's account, it will be a credit alert. It will be impossible for, I mean, well, maybe it, it, could, it could happen that, buyer's um, <laughs> I transfer it fast. It could happen that I get a credit, but buyer doesn't see, sorry, I get a debit, but buyer doesn't get a credit. And if for any reason that happens, then that is a problem. I will have to go and take it up with the bank or with, with the, with the financial institution. I mean, I'm sure Bayer wants us to test it right now, but I believe you have understanding, so no need to test it, all right? So by, by basic, uh-oh, by basic banking, please just listen to, um, with me. By basic banking or accounting principles, right? Whatever happens on, the, on one end must take place on the second end, all right? And that is exactly what the word, that's exactly what the word reckon means. It's an accounting term. I know why accounting is so powerful um, is that it's one of the professions or one of the experiences that, um, that you can take anywhere in the world and it will still be the same thing. You know, unlike English, the English we speak in, in, in Nigeria, for instance, might be slightly different or significantly different from what they speak in America or what they speak in Mexico or in other parts of the world. Um, if you take any other profession, things might differ. If you say engineering, um, the standards and par parameters could differ from region to region. However, when it comes to accounting, it is the same thing. If I have, if I prepare my accounting ledger here in Nigeria and I take it to Spain, it will be the same accounting. It will still be the exact same figure and the exact same, um, exact same records that will be there. That's how accounting is powerful. And if we understand that, you will now understand what Paul was saying that he says, in the same way, reckon yourself also to be dead. What that means is that Paul was saying, in essence, Christ has already made the, made the transfer. You also, you need to act, acknowledge that it is a, is a reality on your own end. All right? So if, um, if, if for instance, I have, if I have um, say, I have $10,000 in one of my accounts, right? Reckoning doesn't, reckoning means, reckoning says that I have $10,000 in my account. Reckoning doesn't try to say I have $20,000 if what I have is 10,000, 
Okay, reckoning is not a an a, 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 an exercise of faith. Like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm hoping that I have twenty thousand. No, reckoning means exactly what is there is exactly what is reported. That is what reckoning is. If I check my account and I have ten thousand dollars, then I report it that I have exactly ten thousand dollars, not ten thousand one hundred or or nine thousand five hundred. No, the exact same amount that is in my account is exactly what I report that I have. Now, the, it is, this is exactly what Paul was saying, that if you are dead to Christ, then you must report it in your own consciousness. Report the fact that you are dead to Christ. And report it in your consciousness that this is it. If in our spiritual bank account, the Bible um, lets us know that we are freed from sin, then don't try, to, uh, don't try to doctor the account. Don't try to edit it. Report exactly what you see in your spiritual bank account and report it when you report it, you are reporting it in your consciousness, all right? Because it's possible for us to read the scriptures and look at it so wonderful and say, oh my God, all these things are written about me. Oh, nice, powerful. But then in our consciousness, we are like, ah, no, it can't be me or maybe somebody else. Maybe for my pastor, it's true. Yes, for my pastor, it's true. But if it now comes to me, I'll be like, ah, Omar, I don't think it, I don't think it pertains to me. But Paul is saying exactly what is recorded about you in your spiritual bank account report the same thing in your consciousness. If not, you will never see the experience of it. All right? So, so, so for instance, now, if I have $10,000 in my bank account, right? That my, my, if I wake up one morning and I feel, I, I feel like I'm not in the mood, I feel so bad, I feel so sad. Let me ask you a question. Did that reduce the amount, the money in my bank accounts? Obviously, no, right? Let's say I, w I wake up and I feel, I feel, let's even say one, one morning I wake up and I just don't feel like doing anything. I feel so lazy. I just sit down on the couch, not doing anything. And then somebody calls my, 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 let's say somebody calls me and says, oh, Victor, how much do you have in your bank account? If I start saying, well, you know, based on my feelings, I feel like my money has reduced. The person asks me, ah, why did your money reduce? You say, because this morning I woke up, I was in a bad mood. I was just sad. I remember what somebody said to me two weeks ago. I, I just felt so sad. I don't even feel like talking again. Will that affect what is in my bank account? Ultimately, no. The reason is because my emotions cannot change what is in my bank account. And I want to make a very strong point here. When it comes to reckoning, right, your emotions don't count. How you feel, whether you're in the mood or not, it doesn't change what God has said about you. It doesn't change the fact that you are dead to sin already. So if somebody, for instance, you know, wakes up one morning and after giving his life to Christ, we've thought that he's, he's dead to sin and he says, oh, yes, I'm dead to sin. But one morning he just wakes up and he has the urge to go and smoke. Let's say he used to be a smoker before. He, has, he, has the, the, he feels the urge to go and smoke. And then he now begins to doubt his salvation or doubt the fact that he's dead to sin because of that feeling. Again, I refer you back to my example. Will that change the fact that he's dead to sin? Remember, this is a this is an accounting, um, this is an accounting experience. If uh, from the Bible and from what we study, the Bible says he's dead to sin, does his emotion or his feeling change that fact? Absolutely no. So this is the first conclusion we need to know about reckoning. Reckoning doesn't take into account your feelings or your emotions. The only thing that can change how much is in my bank account is if I make a withdrawal. 
All right, that's the only thing that can reduce it. If I make a withdrawal or make a payment or whatever I, I do with it. But if I don't make a payment or a withdrawal, what is my bank account is in my bank account. Even if somebody comes to tell me and says, no, Victor, you don't have $10,000. It's a lie. You have $8,000. I, I can prove it to you from my calculation and my deductions. It does not change what I have in my bank account. So when we reckon that we are dead to sin, right, as the Bible says, we are not reckoning because of the way we feel. We are not reckoning because of what happened yesterday or last week. No, our actions did not is not what changed what Jesus Christ has done. Now, I am not saying your actions are not important or are, are insignificant. No, I'm saying when it comes to reckoning according to what, what Jesus has done, according to revelation he has showed us, then your actions don't change it. And we're going to, I'm going to come to where actions come in. That's the next point, um, yielding. But for this stage of reckoning, we have to settle that we are reckoning only what has been done by Christ Jesus. Again, back to my example. If I, if I, um, let's say, let's say, um, let's assume um, Lily, for instance, Lily, Lily comes and says, oh, Victor, I want you to hold this um, hundred pounds for me. All right. And then she gives me the hundred pounds. I write it down and says, and I write it on my book and say, oh, I have received hundred pounds to keep for Lily. Okay. Now, if tomorrow somebody wakes up and says, Victor, I don't think that is hundred pounds. Would it change the hundred pounds? Absolutely no. I want to really drive, drive home the fact that when we reckon, we are not reckoning because of how we feel. We are reckoning because of what is recorded. And it is recorded in the word of God. That's why what we started with was the revelation of the fact that we are dead to sin. And um, the whole of la um, last Bible study, we use that to explain, we, uh, we use that to explain how that we are dead to sin. Just in case, you know, you have doubts, you are questioning why are you dead to sin? You know, that um, last week was used to establish that. Now that we've established that we are dead to sin, the next thing to do is to admit that you are dead to sin. We have seen from the scriptures that we are dead to sin Next thing is to reckon, is to appropriate it, is to admit it in your consciousness that you are dead to sin. And I want to say something also that um, this is not just a matter, this, this principle, this concept is not only true when dealing with sin. It is true when dealing with every other thing. And I'm, I'll share with my, my own experience. You know, I've always, and because of the school I went to, um, we taught, we're taught about, um, about faith and working in divine healing. But I, I still felt ill a lot of times, a couple of times. But what sealed it for me? What what brought that? Um, what brought me into the into the experience of perfect health was was this same principle. You know, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, um, when Isaiah was making a, giving a prophecy about Jesus Christ, he says, "And by His stripes um, we are healed." All right. In fact, Matthew makes reference to that same prophecy. But when Peter now talked about that same scripture. He used it in past tense. He says, by whose stripes you were healed. And one day I sat and looked at this scripture and it dawned on me because he says that he himself took away our infirmities, right? He now says, by whose stripes you were healed. So I looked at scripture and I said, Jesus took away my infirmity. This is in past tense. It is synonymous to, to the fact that I am dead to sin because being dead to sin is in past tense. So I said to myself, Jesus took away my infirmities. And Peter now says, by whose stripes I was healed. I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not trying to get healed right now. I'm not, I'm, I mean, it may sound, 
it may sound even religious to say I'm believing God for my healing, but you may be powerless with that kind of thought. Reason being that you keep on anticipating something that would come, that is coming. You are expecting something to come. But what Peter tells us is that I have already been healed. So it just dawned on me, like, I cannot, if I take, um, um, let me use, okay, let, let me use this, my phone as an example, right? I have a phone in my hand. If I take this phone from my right hand and put it to my, put it in my left hand, it is impossible for it to be my right hand again. It cannot be in the in the two hands at once. I mean, in, for, for this example, I can't hold it with two hands. So once the phone has left my right hand to my left hand, it has left it. And that's the way I looked at it. I said, and says, Jesus Christ took my sickness and he took it away. So this is me. That means right now there is no sickness. What I need, needed to do next was to admit that I am not sick, not from a place of trying to, to, you know, trying to sound like a religious or a person full of faith, but from a place of logical revelation that says, if this, um, if this phone, for instance, is no longer in my right hand, it is now in my left hand, there is no way I'll still have it, okay? And that was what I did. I needed to reckon that I was healed. And that's what I'm trying to explain to us, that the act of reckoning means to establish as a conscious reality what Jesus Christ already did for you. Let me take that again. The act of reckoning means to establish as a conscious present reality what Jesus Christ has already done for you. And let me say for the record that if you never acknowledge that Jesus has already done it, then you will never experience it. Let me say that again. If you never acknowledge that Jesus Christ has already done it, you will never experience it. If you keep acknowledging it as something Jesus will do, he will do it. He will do it in the future. He says, oh, God will heal me. Um, God will provide for me. God will bless me. God will deliver me from sin. God will, um, whatever it is you are trusting God for. If you keep putting it as a future event, it will never manifest in your life because the definition of faith establishes that what you are what you what you're expecting to manifest physically has already happened. All right. So reckoning admits as your present conscious reality what Jesus Christ has already done for you. So um, um, from the scripture where, where we're reading and from the, for this context, the Bible already lets us know that we are dead to sin. Okay, so reckoning now says that. So I read example now. I read the word of God and, and, and the Bible says, Oh, Victor is dead to sin. I've read it, I believe it, I understand it. Reckoning now takes that what takes what I have read and brings it as my daily reality in my heart to my consciousness and says, Victor is dead to sin. That means right now, Victor is dead to sin. Tomorrow, Victor will be dead to sin. Forever, Victor will be dead to sin. That is what reckoning does. So reckoning makes, makes it really your consciousness as a present reality, what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Praise God. All right, so let me just see. Um, um, I put something in my notes. So it says reckoning um, means to record in your consciousness yeah, what Jesus has already, do, already done. I've said that. Um, it is an attitude to be taken. Okay, you know the first two, the first two parts. Remember, we are we're dealing with um, we're dealing with dead to sin, reckoning, and yielding. Okay, now the first two parts, dead to sin and reckoning, 
are all internal. There's no external, there's no external um, expression for it. These are things that happen in your heart. Okay. So being dead to sin and reckoning happen in your heart. Reckoning is an is it's an attitude you take towards what God has already done for you. Reckoning, reckoning rather says, if Jesus Christ has already done it, then I accept that it has been done in my life. Okay. And remember, I said, reckoning doesn't try to take what is not there and put it there. No, no, no. Reckoning, see, you know, if I have, if all I have is five pounds in my, in my pocket, for instance, reckoning doesn't say I have 10 pounds, I have 10 pounds. No, if I have five pounds in my hand, right? I was looking for, sorry, I'm in Nigeria. I was looking for money to get shows. If I have five pounds in my account, in my hand right now, Reckoning doesn't say I have 10 pounds, I have 10 pounds. If I do that, it doesn't change the fact that I have five pounds. So reckoning is not is not a is not you, you know it's not a is not a motivational speech. It's not I'm not trying to motivate myself or trying to try to have positive thinking or positive speech and trying to say what is not there. No, reckoning says if I have five pounds, then I have five pounds. Reckoning says if I am dead to sin, the word of God says I'm dead to sin, then I accept that I am dead to sin. I'm not going to postpone that experience into the future. I'm not going to, to, to backdate that experience as, a, as something that has happened and I'm not, I can no longer experience it. No. Reckoning says, if I am dead to sin in Jesus Christ, then right now I am dead to sin. All right? So reckoning takes into account only what is there. If I claim to have $15,000 in, um, $15, in my bank account and all I have is $10,000, then... Me claiming to have 15,000 wouldn't make the bank give me 15,000 just because I claimed I have 15,000. No, reckoning is not claiming and naming and claiming it. No, reckoning is going to the word of God, seeing what Jesus has already provided for you, and then admitting it to yourself that it is yours. That right now it is my own. So if the Bible says, and, and again, this truth is not only valid for, for when you're dealing with sin, it is also valid for anything. And let, let me just make a detail, right? If you are, if you are, let me make a detail before we continue. If you are believing God for anything, right? Let's assume you are believing God for a job and God has revealed to you from his word that you are going to get a job. What you need to do is, first of all, accept that, not that, so, so the, let's assume I believe God for a job, for instance. At the point of me, you know, I desire a job, so I want to have a job. The moment God shows me from scripture and I, he gives me a scripture that tells me I will have a job, what I need to do is to accept it to my, in my heart that God has already given me a job, even before I see the physical manifestation of the job, okay? And like I said, if you don't admit it as a past reality, that's something that has already happened. If you keep admitting it as something that will happen one day, you would hardly and scarcely ever lay hold of it um, tangibly. So the genius of faith is that the moment God shows you in his word, that moment it has happened. Even though it has not yet manifested, but it has happened. Then you now admit yourself as, a, as an employee or as a job owner. All right? And once you do that, we'll move to the next step, but, but we'll move to that in a bit. All right? So still on reckoning, um, to reckon means to consider yourself in the equal light of what Jesus Christ has done. All right. And just like um, the passion translation says, view yourself continually. 
Um, to reckon means to take inventory and to conclude in yourself exactly what Christ has done. Again, exactly what Christ has done. Um, the word reckon de deals with reality, not with assumption. Um, remember what I said just a few minutes ago that if I, if I assume I have um, $15,000 in my bank account, whereas I have $10,000, my assumption will not add extra money to my bank account. If I wake up one morning and I feel super hyped and says, whoa, I feel so good. I have 15,000 in my account. Meanwhile, what I have is 10,000. It will not, it won't do it. Also, if I wake up one morning and I, and, I, and I feel gloomy, I feel sad, and I begin to say, I don't have 10,000 in my account again. I have 9,000. My, my mood, my feeling doesn't change what is in my bank account. It is in the same way too, when you come to Christ, the way you feel, somebody can wake up one morning and feel so guilty, feel so sad, it doesn't change who you are in Christ. Your feelings are inconsequential in the realm of the spirit. What God has done is so eternal that your emotions can't change it. You can't come and do a protest and say, oh, I want to change what Jesus has done. It will not work. There is nothing that can change what Christ has done. So if you wake up one morning and you feel less of a Christian, it doesn't change anything. You know, see, I'm emphasizing this because even for me, and I'll share an experience, for me, what really helps me to experience the things of the spirit practically is admitting that my emotions and my feelings don't have anything to do with it. Meaning that you can be praying for someone who is sick right now and your emotions don't even feel like praying for the person, but the person will still get his healing. Not because you feel like you are anointed. See, you must know that you're anointed. You don't need to feel it. You don't need to have an emotional um, high to know that you're anointed. No, 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 no. The things of the spirit are uninfluenced by your emotions, okay? And, you know, one day, let me share a practical story just before we continue. Um, I think this was 2015, I believe. 2015, I went for a program. So they invited me for a, um, for a program in Abuja, a, a camp. What was it called now? Like a youth slash teenage camp to go and minister, right? So on this particular day, I'd already prayed, you know, prayed about it, prayed about it, and I knew what God had already pressed my heart, what he wanted to do, right? And he led me to, you know, minister his spirit and pray for the people. So when it was time to minister, I'll be very honest with you, I did not feel jack. I know there are times, and, and let me, and this will put a balance to this, there are times when you feel the anointing literally on your body, and that is true. There are times when you feel the presence of God literally on your body, and that is valid as well. But on this particular time, I did not feel jack. I did not feel... In fact, in my mind there, I just wanted to finish preaching and go and sit down. But I knew what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do. So I just said, I mean, just out of obedience, I said to everybody, okay, let me, I'm going to pray for you. And I said, if you want, you know, the Holy Spirit to touch you, this and that and that, you know, just lift up your hands and I'll pray for you. And I started, and so everybody, just, everybody stood up and I started praying. And I did not finish the first sentence in my prayer. And the power of God hit the place, and people were screaming. Some that um, demon possessed were shouting. These things were just going on. And see, even at that point in my mind, I was telling myself, I don't feel anything, you know, right now. I was telling, I was telling God, the man says, Oh, should we know right now? If I go by my feeling, I won't do jack, I'll just go and sit down. But that that day was so powerful. Like, I ministered to people, and I, I show you, in for every single person I ministered to, I did not feel a tingling of the anointing. And that helps me to realize that when things are happening in the realm of the spirit, your emotions don't need to be involved, 
Okay? And this is so true for every spiritual reality. If God comes to you and tells you, you are a billionaire, you don't need to feel like it. Your, your, your account might be reading red, but it doesn't change what God has said. And it is the same thing the Bible explains to us right now, that we are dead to sin. What we need to do is to reckon that we are dead. Our reckoning is not based on how we feel. Our reckoning is not even based on, on, on the fact that we've been, we've been righteous, we've been holy, we've not done anything bad. So yes, 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 because for the past one week, I've not told a lie, I've been good, I've not done anything bad. So I'm in a good place to reckon. No, you are not reckoning because of what you have done or not done. You are reckoning because of what Jesus has done. All right? Okay, so let's proceed. So I said um, um, reckoning doesn't take into consideration your feelings or opinion. It only takes into account what Jesus has done. That is what we impute into our lives as reality. Um, so I said here that a lot of Christians struggle at this point because they, they pay attention to their feelings, emotions, and opinions. And this is so true. A lot of Christians struggle, especially um, when people just you know come into the faith, a lot of them struggle because they, they take into consideration the way they feel. You know, after, you know, when someone gives life to Christ, typically what happens is that they're excited they, to be in, in the faith. They are so happy about the newfound um, spiritual experience, right? But after some time, it seems like the excitement begins to wane. Why does it wane? Because maybe one day someone said something nasty to them, or one day they woke up and they prayed, and after they prayed for maybe one hour, they didn't feel anything in their self. They didn't feel good the way they used to feel good some months ago. And so they begin to doubt the, the power of their prayer. They begin to doubt the validity of their salvation and, and all of those funny things. But no, reckoning doesn't take into, into account your feelings. All right? So the amount of money, okay, I said, yeah, the amount of money in your bank account is exactly what it is, regardless of how you feel. It reflects reality, not your feeling. And I want to show us a scripture before we move to the next point. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. I want to show you how that Abraham employed this same concept in working with God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19. Um, okay, you know what? We read from verse 17, 17 to 19, so we get the picture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, 17 to 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall his seed be called. So let's pause here. It, it was a very illogical thing to do from, human, from a human standpoint because Isaac was the one that God promised Abraham. And part of the promise was that Abraham's descendants will, will be like the sand of the seashore and stars in the sky. And that descendant will come from Isaac. God categorically said it will come from Isaac, whom Sarah was going to give birth to. So for Abraham to not take Isaac, that same one to sacrifice, it was very illogical. But Abraham must have understood something for him to proceed with that action. Okay? Let me read verse 18 again. It says, Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 19 says, Accounting that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Let me explain what this means. Abraham, God told Abraham, go and sacrifice yourself. Everybody would, everybody would have looked at him and said, this does not make sense. Are you sure you heard God? 
what do you mean by go and sacrifice? It's not the one that God said your descendants will come from. But Abraham knew something. Abraham knew that God was able to raise the dead. All right? And that if even if Isaac died, God had the power to bring Isaac back from the dead. So in Abraham's mind, right, he had already killed Isaac and received Isaac back from the dead. And based on that logic, he said, it's not a big deal to sacrifice Isaac because he already, you have, I have seen God that he will raise him back from the dead. Do you understand? So based on that, Abraham reckoned that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. So it was not a big deal to sacrifice Isaac. That's where I'm going to. So the moment you reckon a reality in God, it will not be a big deal for you to take action. And this example now leads me to the next um, and to the third thing we're looking at, which is yielding. All right? Now, yielding is where the action comes in. So remember, when, when, we, when, we, uh, when we get the revelation of being dead to sin, there's, at that point, it's still revelation. There's no external action involved. Um, when we reckon, it's still an internal process, right? But when it comes to yielding, yielding is a verb. It is where the action comes. And since we, we just talked about the example of Abraham, let me use his example to explain this point. Abraham reckoned, he admitted that God, so it, 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 this is the way he looked at it, he's like, after all, God can raise the dead. If God can raise the dead, that means God can raise Isaac, right? So he reckoned that, not, not just that God can, can raise Isaac, but that indeed God will raise Isaac. And according to what Hebrews says, he's saying that, and he says, the, um, verse 19, the last part says, from whence also he received him in a figure. That means in Abraham's mind, he had already killed Isaac. In Abraham's mind, God had already raised Isaac back to life and everything had concluded inside him. It is the same thing, we, we, the same experience that happens when we, when we um, know that we are dead to sin, we reckon that we are already dead to sin. And then the third part is where we now yield ourselves to God. And so what Abraham did was that he reckoned that he reckoned that God can raise Isaac. Let me separate the ones that All right, sorry about that. So he reckoned that he raised that that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And also he reckoned he had, I mean, in his mind, he had already killed Isaac and resurrected him. And because of that, he, he was able to take the action. So somebody would have looked at Abraham and said, wow, Abraham, you're a man of faith for you to go and kill your son or attempt to kill your son. But the person wouldn't know the internal logic that occurred in Abraham's heart. And if the person wanted to say, if Abraham can do it, I will do it. The person would have been in error because he did not, he wouldn't have known what had gone on inside Abraham's heart. And I believe that the reason why a lot of people's faith might not be working is because they see someone take external actions but don't know the internal reckoning that went on before the actions were taken. So it's almost like me saying, um, so for instance, Faith comes and shares an example, shares her testimony with me. And Faith says that she got a revelation, right? Oh, no, no, she, maybe she doesn't tell me. She just tells me that, oh, Victor, I gave my last money you know, in church, and the next day, somebody gave me $5,000. And I now say, wow, if it can happen for faith, it can happen for me. Then I go and wipe out all my accounts, and then I'm waiting for the next day. And the next day comes, and the next day, guess what they give me? A cup of Gary. 
Listen, if I only imitate her actions without knowing the internal process that, that sponsored that action, I will fail in my adventure of faith. All right? And that's what God is trying to explain to us in these in this, um, three, three steps. All right? Um, for lack of a better word, let me call them three steps. That people, especially when it comes to walking in holiness and righteousness, that people are trying to take external actions first. They are trying to do things. They are trying to do things. They are trying to do. They are trying to stop smoking. They are trying to stop um, 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 fornicating. They are trying to stop lying. They are trying to do so many things externally, but they don't. They don't have the internal revelation of being dead to sin. Number one, and then secondly, they don't have the attitude of reckoning themselves to be dead, and so all their actions just fall flat. And let me tell you, right? If you see anybody that is struggling with an addiction. Hmm? The person is struggling with an addiction, struggling with an addiction, and it seems like the addiction cannot stop. Listen, refer the person back to these first two steps because it is very good to take external um, uh, measures and procedures, and we are going to come to that. So we can talk and say, you know what, I'm going to stop watching movies. I'm going to, you know, um, disconnect myself from the internet so that I'll stop, um, I'll stop masturbating, for instance. It's good to do that. However, if the person has not yet admitted that he's dead to sin. If the person doesn't have the revelation, first of all, that he's dead to sin, and then secondly, he has not even admitted that he's dead to sin, there is no external action that will change his, that would cause him to stop, right? It will have to first start with those internal processes, those internal experiences of being dead to sin, number one, reckoning you are dead to sin, and then as a consequence, your actions will be influenced. And what happens is that the moment you... No, you have the revelation that you are dead to sin. You, and then you have reckoned that you are dead to sin. The third step will be most logical. It will, it will, it will flow by default. Do you get what I'm saying? Think about Abraham again. Abraham, in his heart, he knew that God can raise people from the dead. That was revelation he had. So revelation told him that God can raise people from the dead. Reckoning told him that God has already raised Isaac from the dead, meaning in, in Abraham's mind, he had already killed Isaac, and in Abraham's mind, God had already raised Isaac from the dead. So it, did, it was so logical for Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac because he had already seen, right, that God can raise people from the dead and that in his own case, God has already raised Isaac. So he just, it was very logical for him to go and sacrifice Isaac. That is how we experience victory in every area of our lives. We first of all, have the revelation of what Christ has done. Secondly, we reckon that revelation as our experience personally and presently. Then thirdly, by these two actions, our, our, most, our most logical, I mean, our most spiritually logical step will be take the actions that correspond to, to, to the revelation that we have received. Praise God. I hope that's, that's not confusing, right? Um, so let, let's, let's read, let's go back to Romans chapter six and see what, where it says we should yield Romans chapter six and verse 12 Romans. Listen, you can, you can stop any addiction. You can, you can not, not, not just for stopping addiction alone. You can break through into any experience. If you understand these principles, Romans chapter 12, sorry, chapter six, I beg your pardon, verse 12. Um, it says, Okay, let me start from verse 11. 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its laws thereof. So you observe this now, there's a transition. It, first of all, it says, um, verse 11 says we should reckon, okay? But then from verse 12, we now see responsibility placed on our actions. In, in, in from verse 1 to verse 11, there was no responsibility placed on our external actions. All the responsibility was just for us to admit, for us to get the revelation, for us to understand. But from verse 12, we now begin to see that there's a conscious responsibility placed on our actions. And the reason why it is so is because once you have gotten those first two steps, then you now have the power to exercise authority and exercise your responsibility in taking external actions, okay? And I mean, we've not, okay, let, 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 me, know, let me not jump ahead of myself. So let's continue. Verse 12 says, let's not sin. It's almost like me telling you, don't allow this. If I tell you, for instance, don't allow, um, don't allow the, don't let the door, don't leave the door open, means it is now your responsibility to make sure the door is closed. So I am placing a responsibility on you by your actions. Now, I'm not, this is not something that happens inside your heart or inside your mind. This is an external action, all right? So Paul begins to place responsibility at this point. And he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its laws thereof. Verse 13 says, neither yield yourselves, yield your members as instruments of, right, of, of unrighteousness unto sin. Rather, yield yourself unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin. Oh, sorry, unto God, I beg your pardon. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So powerful. And let me explain what this what Paul is saying here. That now that you've, you, are, you have the revelation that you are dead to sin, now that you are reckoned and admitted to yourself that you are dead to sin, the next logical thing is to take the actions that would make sure you don't, you don't um, go back into sin. So Paul is saying, don't let your members, you don't know, if, if I tell you, if I tell you to make sure the door is closed, it means you have the power to close the door. So if God tells us, don't let your, don't yield your members as, your bodies as an instrument of unrighteousness, that means that responsibility is within our power is within our control, all right? And Paul, again, like I said, Paul only began to introduce external actions after the first two steps have been um, taken, okay? And it says, for sin shall not have dominion under you for your under grace. Um, the reason why at this, the reason why Paul never mentioned this before was because if you place responsibility on someone who has not yet, who doesn't have the revelation of being dead to sin, and does, has not yet reckoned himself dead to sin, that, respons that, that responsibility will be a burden. And this is why a lot of people fail in, you know, overcoming their past, overcoming their past habits, overcoming certain addictions or whatever it is. And like I said, it's because they have not yet seen themselves as dead to sin. They have not yet reckoned themselves as dead to sin. They are just trying to stop smoking and say, and exercise willpower. Your willpower alone is not sufficient to achieve victory without the first two steps. So action only comes after you have gone through the first two steps, all right? And um, what does it mean to yield yourself to God? 
Yielding yourself to God means, I mean, I was going to say, just practically yield yourself. Um, let, let me go and I show you something. <clears throat> verse, verse 16, right? It says, okay, no, let's read verse 15 and 16. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, he says, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey, his servants ye, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Please follow me. Look at verse 15, right? He says, shall we continue to sin because we're under, um, under the law, we're under grace, not under the law. And he says, God forbid. If you go back to verse 1, he's asked the same question, but gives a slightly different answer. Look at, just take, go back to verse 1, right? He says, um, what shall we then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And his response was, God forbid. Why did he say so? He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live in it any longer? So the first time he asked this question, he pointed our attention to the fact that we are dead to sin. Now, the second, after establishing the fact that we are dead to sin and then reckoning, he now says that it is still possible that after you are dead to sin, follow me, it is possible that after you are dead to sin and you reckon yourself dead to sin, somebody can still come and say, eh, because I'm under grace, should I continue to sin? At that point, for the believer that has admitted that he's dead to sin, he has reckoned himself dead to sin, at that point, Paul's response to that believer is in verse 16. He says, don't you know that the person you yield yourself to, you, are, you become a slave of that person, meaning that if you, if you know you are dead to sin, you've reckoned yourself dead to sin, and you decide to go into sin, that means you are yielding yourself. And Paul says, just in case you are not aware, let me tell you that the moment you yield yourself to something, you become a slave of that thing. And Paul says it is true whether it, you are yielding yourself to sin or you are yielding yourself to God. What this means is that it is possible for a believer to yield himself, that is, intentionally by his actions commit sin. And Paul is saying that the moment you begin to do that, you will become a slave to sin even though you are born again. Praise Jesus. So no, when, it gets, when we get to this point, we yield ourselves to God. Yielding ourselves to God involves every action you take that brings glory to God intentionally. All right, let me take that again. Yielding yourself to God refers to any intentional action you take that brings glory to God um, eventually. All right, and this is where action comes in. So typical scenario now, if somebody was a smoker, was you know addicted to smoking before, he gave his life to Christ, and then after giving his life to Christ, he now sees that, oh, this person is, uh, he now sees that I'm dead to sin, and then uh, he also sees that, um, he also, he also reckons that he's dead to sin. The next thing the person should do is, don't go and buy the cigarettes again. Don't go and hang out with people that smoke. Don't go and, don't do things that would, that would um, lure you or stir you up into smoking. Now, at this point, the person can begin to take actions. And like I said earlier on, this is where action comes in, all right? So yielding yourself to God means, I am, for instance, if someone is um, prone to, let's say someone had, was, was addicted to pornography for giving his life to Christ. Now the person has given his life to Christ. Um, sin is no longer his master anymore. He has, he has reckoned himself to be dead to sin. What the person should now do as part of yielding himself to God is cut off yourself from any sites, any movie, anything that 
has pornographic content, if it is people that used to entice you, let's say you had friends that, that, that led you into pornography, cut yourself off from that. At this point, any action you, you need to take, all right, take it. Any action you need to take that will severe you from the life of sin, at this point, you need to take that action, all right? However, action is not what comes first. Action comes only after you have the revelation of being dead to sin. And secondly, you have reckoned yourself to be dead to sin. Okay? I want us to read a scripture that actually portrays, um, that talks about this same, um, the exactly same, the same concept. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Romans chapter 12, just a couple of chapters ahead of where we are. Romans chapter 12, please, you can read for us if you are there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Romans 12, 1. Beloved brethren, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred living sacrifice, and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights in his heart. For this mm. becomes our genuine expression of worship. So, stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This would empower you to the same God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Praise God. Thank you so much. Um, what translation is that? Is that TPT? Yes. Good. So look at what it says, right? It says, what should be your proper response? What this means is, now that I know I am dead to sin, now that I've admitted and reckoned that I am dead to sin, what should be my proper response to that? My proper response, so let, let, me, let me, if I use sin vaguely, it might sound, you know, a bit vague. But let me use, for instance, someone that is addicted to pornography. If the person now comes and, and knows that I, he's dead to sin, also now has reckoned that he's dead to sin. What should be his proper response? His proper response should, should be to put away any pornographic content. His proper response should be stop watching movies that contain such, um, such, such scenes. His proper response should be to stay away from anyone or anything that will lure him back into it. That is his proper response. If somebody used to tell lies left, right, and center, but now the person has, no, is, has known he's dead to sin, has admitted he's dead to sin, what should be the proper response? Avoid any situation that will make you lie. So it is at this point that yielding comes in, okay? And yielding is our proper response to the re revelation that we are dead to sin. Our proper response is, is what we do when we yield, okay? So it's the same thing with Abraham too. Abraham knew that God can raise the dead, he has the power and he has already done it. So what was his proper response? His proper response was obedience. And let me say this, right? That this is why faith, faith is not a, faith is not a, a faith is, faith is not just based on principle, principle. Faith is a, a relationship that comes from revelation. So once you know what God has said, you have the revelation of it. There'll be a proper response that you would, you know, you'll take. All right. Um, so yeah, yielding is our proper response to the revelation of what Christ has done for us. So again, like I said, this is where action comes in. And holiness, righteousness, that's um, living out holiness, living out righteousness, was not meant to come as a struggle. No, 
what is holiness living in holiness is a proper response to a, a revelation that we already sustain praise jesus all right and um even like i said even when it comes to believing and trusting god for things you know so for instance let me use the example i, I gave earlier when someone if god is all you know says that he has got a revelation that he will he will get a job and that has come to him as a revelation he has reckoned that he is a job owner what will what should be his proper response to that his proper response would be go and apply for jobs go and look for jobs online talk to people apply for jobs that will be his proper response so when we say yielding to god our yielding to god is a proper response that is born out of revelation all right and then he says um I, um, um what's the proper response okay surrender yourselves to god and then he goes on and on to talk about excuse me to talk about holiness praise god all right so i want to stop at this point let me just go through my notes and see if i have left anything out um so i said yielding this is where actions come in yielding means taking actions um Sorry, I say yielding is only effective after acknowledging you are dead to sin, after acknowledging you are dead and reckoning your position in Christ. And then I said that the ability to yield comes from the knowledge of the fact that sin no longer has dominion over you because you are not under the law. And I said that you yield by obeying, okay? You yield by obeying. And lastly, on yielding, I just want to say that yielding is a deliberate and an intentional act. You are not going to wake up and God will yield for you. No, you have to yield. And that's what, you know, the King James says in Romans 12. He says, present your bodies. That is, that is almost like me taking, taking this phone and presenting it. It is an intentional act. It cannot happen by mistake and somebody cannot do it for you. You have to present yourself before God as a living sacrifice, all right? So it is intentional. So when you're yielding yourself to God, you're asking yourself, what are the things I need to do in obedience to God? What are the things I need to do as my proper response, having the revelation of what Christ has done for me? Praise the Lord. All right, so I'm going to stop here. Um, our time is spent. But also I want to know if we have any question um, concerning what we've shared um, this evening. Anyone with any question, just you can raise your hand and let us, let us, um, you know, let's know. Any question from reckoning? Any question from, from yielding? Anyone, anyone, anyone want to ask a question? Okay, no question. No question I can see. Um, Lola, Faith, Egin, any question? Or not, not only question. Um, okay, so if there's no question, you know, just share with us one thing you learned that um, struck you, or I mean, that you learned today and you're going back with. And also, if you have a contribution, if you want to share something, you know, based off on what we, what we just discussed, this is the time. So what you learned or something you want to share or a question. Um, well, there are just three of us right now, so it, it, can, it can all go around. Yes, please. Okay, um, for me, I would say that apply like the whole principle of of you having the revelation and reckoning it and how it applies to not just sin, 
what helps the way he explained it, like made so much, so much sense. Cause this morning I was feeling a bit, I woke up with <laughs> so <sore> truth. <laughs> and then I started having funny thoughts. And then <laughs> I know what it is, but yeah, go on. I started having funny thoughts and all of that, and then started reading scriptures about my healing and how the fact that I'm healed and making demands of that healing and this is who I am, basically, mm -hmm. and not that I am praying for the healing. And it just basically reassures, like what you're saying now, just basically reassures that whatever I did this morning was right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Faith. And before I move on to the next person, just want to chip in based on what you say, that it is so true for everything, um, you know, and let me just use the case of healing um, that you spoke about. There are times when, you know, the first time when I, I got this revelation, I told myself, so I asked myself, so what do I do with the way I feel? And exactly what I shared with you, the way you feel doesn't change what is in your bank account. The way you feel doesn't change the fact that you have already been healed. You are not trying to be healed. Listen, you might, somebody can, someone might have fever right now and be feeling feverish and be sweating and have running temperature. But I'm telling you that the Bible says you have been healed. You are not trying to get healed. You already have been healed. And that's what I did. The time I was, like years ago, I was feeling feverish and stuff. And I told myself, the Bible says I am healed. I don't care how I feel. The way I feel doesn't change the fact that I am I'm healed. And let me tell you, that same day, that thing left. And another revelation that has always worked for me is Romans chapter 8, verse 11, concerning healing. That if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead would also give life to your mortal bodies. So that has been a very powerful scripture for me. So yeah, the same um, principle applies. If you are trusting God for a new car and God has revealed it to you, you reckon yourself and whether you are trekking or you are walking or you are entering Uber, still tell yourself, I have a car, okay? And then the manifestation comes. All right, so next person, please. What have you learned today? Want to share with us? Um, let me call on Lola. Lola, you want to go next? One thing you've learned today that you want to share with us. Um, Lola, you're muted. So we can, okay, you're typing. Okay, that's that's fine. Okay, so you can go ahead and type um, while next person goes. Um, Iyin, you want to share with us what you've learned today? One thing you learned today um, that you are going home with. Um, Ian, either your, your mic is muted just in case you're talking. We can't hear you. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. So it was a really nice session. I learned a lot of things. Um, so basically for me, it's the way you explained feelings and that um, example of Abraham, you have analyzed always like, oh, Abraham had faith, right? And I'm eating, so for some reason you're toggling, sorry, again, you're, you're toggling, you're, mute, you're muting and unmuting yourself, it's, it's toggling. So we 
um, is breaking when you speak. Sorry, I think I put my, my phone was, something was pressing my phone. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now, yeah. Okay, so I said for me, it's what I really learned, right, was that faith is not something that is baseless. Like, do you understand? Mm -hmm. um, the example of Abraham was very striking. So we all read that, oh, Abraham is the father of faith, and we just know that, oh, this man exhibited great faith. But mm -hmm. I've never really analyzed it that way, that this man actually felt like, oh, well, my son would, he already even saw Isaac being raised back to life. Do you mm -hmm. understand? So that sacrifice was not even a problem for him at mm -hmm. all. So faith is not something that is baseless. Faith is not something that defies logic. I mean, it's a very logical thing. Do you understand? Like, I don't know how, I don't know if, if you are getting what I'm saying. It doesn't defy yeah, yeah. logic. It's a yeah. relationship, like you said. If I, it's, I mean, it's just logical. If I believe that, oh, God has already raised my son back from the dead. I mean, it, it only makes sense that I'm able to boldly go and sacrifice him. So it doesn't defy logic. It's not baseless. It's not mm -hmm. something that is just in the thin air and, you know, you're just struggling to have faith and, you know, yeah. you just read the Bible and then you begin to decree and declare, wake up in the morning, you speak the word, wake up in the afternoon, you speak the word. Do you understand? It's not like that. Mm -hmm. It's a very logical and, you know, tangible, tangible thing. And um, so the, I, I, have, I sort of have a question, you know, because um, the, the part about yielding that, okay, is it possible? Because people, and it's very much tied to the whole, oh, um, if you are born of God, you cannot sin. And, you know, we still had that um, talk on one from like the other day. And I'm like, okay, so is it possible for a child of God to intentionally yield themselves to sin? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. If if we're saying, oh, if we're born of God, we cannot sin. That scripture that literally says, oh, he that is born of God cannot sin. Do you understand? Okay, good. Let me answer a question. Um, first of all, very short answer. Is it possible for a Christian to yield himself to sin? The answer is an absolute yes. Why a Christian would want to do that, I don't know, for many reasons, but I, I want to explain to you. Um, you know, you know, the Bible says um, we should yield ourselves. I need to go back to Romans 6 and look at the way the way Paul, in fact, the way Paul, the way Paul answered it showed you that it was a possibility. Okay. So Romans chapter 6, I'll just quickly go back to verse um, verse 15. He says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He said, God forbid. So it's like someone saying, should, Can a believer continue to sin? But Paul's response was, was God forbid. However, verse 16 now gives us the explanation. Verse 16 says, don't you know that whoever you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are whom you choose to obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Remember that at this point, this believer has already reckoned, he has already seen that he's dead to sin. And Paul was trying to explain to the person that if you are asking if you should, should still go on sinning, he said, no, you should not because... The moment you go on, you yield yourself to anything, right? You become the slave of that thing. And Paul was mm -hmm. diligent enough to say that it is not only unto God, though, in case you are thinking it's only God you can yield to. You can also yield yourself to sin that leads to death, 
All right. So yes, it's possible. And yeah. if you go to Romans chapter twelve, where we read, um, you know, Romans twelve says, "I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies." Fun fact: I didn't want to go deep into it, but the Greek word "present" is the same Greek word "yield." All right. So it is the same Greek word. So we can read this scripture to say, "Yield your bodies." All right. And it says, "Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God." It says, "Which is your reasonable service." Some, trans some translation says is a reasonable act of worship. What that means is that God has an expectation mm, that once you know what Christ has done for you, once you have come into a revelation of what Christ has done to you, God expects yeah. that logically you logically, will stop. Yeah. Yeah. However, there are Christians, and, and in fact, the, the word reasonable actually means mm. logical. That should be and, a natural response yes, yeah, exactly. to stop sinning. Yes. Okay, so now if the, the second question will be if the person now yields to sin, what happens to the person's salvation and righteousness in quotes? Do you understand? Ah. Does the person okay. still die and just go to heaven? Because I think that's always the that's always the argument. Do you understand yeah. what happens to the person's righteousness? Yeah, everybody good. knows that yes, I can wake up and steal, I can wake up and choose to life, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for the Fun fact, I rather, to be honest, the answer to this question is a whole Bible study because there are, on, once I answer this question, there are several things that would come up. But let me attempt to give a summarized answer, but I'm afraid my answer would stir up more questions. But let me let me try. Don't worry, we'll wait for the full Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, however, so if a so, so salvation. Ah, oh, I'm trying to say this thing without sounding without sounding heretic. Okay, salvation and making heaven is based on a free gift of Christ, meaning your actions will not undo what God has done. Okay, so yeah. the way we are the, the the reason the assurance we get, okay, that we will make heaven is because we've accepted Jesus in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Yes, because of what we've done, and I'll tell you where actions come in, please, but just stay with me. The reason we make heaven is because we've accepted what Jesus Christ has done. And somebody say, what of our actions? Do you, does that mean if somebody sins, he will, he will still go to heaven? And the answer to that is, I, I, I won't answer, but I'll, I'll portray a scenario to you. So someone can ask and say, oh, what of this person that gives life to Christ but was sinning and he now died? Will he make heaven? Mm -hmm. The question, so that question is taking into account the person's actions, right? The person's works. Mm -hmm. Let me paint another mm -hmm. scenario. There's a sinner on his death, on the deathbed. And on the deathbed, someone preached to the sinner and the person gave his life to Christ. My question to you is, mm -hmm. will the person make heaven? You tell me, yes, 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 the person will make heaven. Mm -hmm. The person hasn't done anything good on anything that. Anything righteous. Mm, yeah. Anything righteous yeah. in terms of actions. Why will you say the person mm -hmm. will make heaven? You tell me mm -hmm. it is because he accepted Jesus. And I will tell you mm -hmm. also for the other person, he will make heaven because he has accepted Jesus. Accepted Jesus. Now, the next thing we now ask, so where does our action come in? And this is very important. Mm -hmm. Listen, as Christians, mm -hmm. our, our goal is not just to make heaven. I mean, this may sound absurd, but as Christians, our mm -hmm. goal is not just to make heaven. Our goal mm -hmm. is that heaven, our actions will, will be presentable before God. So there are two mm -hmm. forms of judgment. And again, this is the whole Bible study. But there are two forms mm -hmm. of judgment. That will happen. Number one is the judgment between the sheep and the goats. All right, that's 
um, mm-hmm. the, the, those are believers and those are unbelievers. That yeah. will happen automatically. And, of your work. and mm-hmm. exactly. Secondly, though, there's another judgment that God will judge his own people. Now, this judgment, the sentence of this judgment is for reward. It's not for, for whether you make heaven or not. You make heaven, but in heaven, mm-hmm. there's a reward system. And the reward system is not based on what you believe, what you believe. No, the reward system is based on what you did, your actions, what have you done, right? That's what God will reward on. And it is very important, you know, if, and, and this is why, one of the reasons I believe why God, don't, God doesn't just take us to heaven when we give our lives to Christ. It's because exactly, there's yeah. that will take into account our actions, our works. So somebody you say that, uh, you know, it's very, it's humanly, logical to think this way, that if this man has been an armed robber, he has been killing people, he has been stealing money, doing everything, then on his deathbed, he now says, hey, Jesus, I believe in you, and then he now goes to heaven. Then me too, why, why am I wasting my time serving God for so many years? Let me be... Exactly. I'm doing everything. Anyhow. I do that, I am 45 <laughs> years. I'll now go and look for Jesus and say, save me, or save me. And yes, you'll be saved. <laughs> However, your actions, your works would not count your works will not will not weigh so much in heaven, all right? And this is the advantage. Let me just because most of us here are young. This is the advantage we have as young people. That as young people that know God now, you can start serving God, start living for God, start working for God now, so that your time time becomes an advantage to you. Yes, time is time is inconsequential in heaven, but on earth, time becomes an advantage because your work through time can pile up to you, and that's why. Jesus said, don't store your treasures on earth where rust and moth can destroy. Rather, store your treasures in heaven. How do we store our treasures, our treasures in heaven? By our actions here on earth. Okay, I hope that was a summary, summarizing. Yeah, answer. very perfect. Yes, yes. Okay, thank you so much. There's something else I wanted to say. You chipped in. You know, when you talked about that, the fact that it was logical for Abraham to take that action. I, again, I didn't want to go into the Greek word, but when he says, the Bible, I went, this, the word that says, um, you know, Romans, sorry, Hebrews 11, where I read, Hebrews 11, 19, where it says, Abraham was, Abraham accounted that God could raise his son from the dead and all. That word accounts is, is logizomai, something like that. And it's, it's from that word we get the English, English word logic, meaning it was a logical thing for Abraham to do because he already knew God could raise his son from the dead. All right. Um, um, Lona says here, what did she learn today? She says, the explanation about reckoning and how it is not linked to our feelings, just like our bank account is not affected by how we feel. Also, the, the explanation about being dead to sin and how we should internally hold on to that revelation. Yes, thank you so much for that, Lola. Um, Ruth, do you want to share one thing you learned today? Quickly, before we go. One thing we learned today before we go. Um, quickly, before we go, yeah, Ruth, it's up to you. You're muted, though, if you, um, just in case you're speaking, we can't hear you. Um, Ruth, are you there? Okay, not sure Ruth is there. All right, so we'll come to the end of today's Bible study um, and also this series. Um, I, I trust we're blessed. Um, this session will, will, will be uploaded, uploaded on our podcast so you can always go back to it and listen to it. Um, please, if you are not in our Bible study, if you are not in our Bible study, um, what do you call it? Bible study group, I'm sending the link right now for you to join. Just follow this link and you would be right in our group. So that's where we post 
all other information. Oh, oh sorry. Um, I wanted to post that just a minute. Um, so this is all right for everyone. Yeah. So please, that's that's the group. That's the link to the group. bit.ly for slash obc group. Um, secondly, next week, like we said last month, right? Every last last Tuesday of the month will be a prayer session. So next week is going to be the last Tuesday of this month. Um, so it's going to be a prayer session. And the reason why we pray is we need to internalize the things we've heard and also we need to build ourselves in the spirit. Um, so next week's prayer session is titled Burning Ones. The Burning Ones. And I'm going to do a very, very short sharing before we pray. It's so powerful. You see that what God desires for us is that in the realm of the spirit, we should be on fire. You know, one day I was doing deliverance for, for, for someone. I just remember. I'm sorry, I was doing deliverance for someone. And she was running away from me. And I said, why, why, why you? She was just going away. The, the girl that was demon-possessed. I said, why are you running? She said, because there's fire. There's fire over me. So I told her to shake me. She said, no, that there's fire. And I told her that if she doesn't shake me, the fire that's on me would jump for her. So eventually she, and she was delivered. But I just want to say that the most accurate posture we can have in the realm of the spirit is to be ablaze on fire for God. And it doesn't matter whether you work in a bank or you work in a train station, you work in anywhere, you can be on fire. You can be on fire in the train station, all right? So we're going to do that next week. So I pray next week. Please do me a favor. Invite someone to join us. It's going to be a very powerful session. Invite someone to join us next week. And um, God bless you for doing that. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight's Bible study. Thank you for all the things you have taught us by your spirit. We are grateful, dear Lord. We ask that by your spirit, you help us to live in the reality of this truth, that we, we experience and exercise this truth um, every day in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, for next week Bible study, we thank you for your power and your anointing that is present. For everyone that is yet to join us um, or that desires to join us, we thank you for bringing them together um, next week in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for answered prayers in Jesus' mighty name. We have prayed. Amen. Amen. All right. Good night, everyone. See you next week. Have a lovely week ahead. Oh, hold on. One last thing. Ian, um, I'm just going to say straightforward. I think this is your first time joining us. So please, let's say welcome to Ian. Um, Ian Olua on Nobote. Let's say welcome to her. Um, welcome, Ian, to Bible study. All right. Okay. So after welcoming her, we can go. Good night, everyone, or good, yeah, good night, if it's nice where you are. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you guys for welcoming me. I had a nice time. <laughs> yep. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Bye, everyone. Welcome. Bye. Bye.